You've read or heard or preached the scripture this week. Now what? Join me, Pastor Carissa, and my colleague, Pastor Alan, as we explore the spaces between the Sundays in our podcast, Soft Idolatry. Welcome to Soft Idolatry. <laughs> Dude! What? Halloween is over. It is November 1st, it's as o- of this recording. It's over? Halloween is over. I'm sorry, man. That was last week, buddy. You are bumming me out. Killjoy. I, I am such a buzzkill. <laughs> Wet blanket. Hey, guys. Welcome to Soft Idolatry. This is episode 15. Can you believe we're 15 episodes in? Actually, yes. Can you believe we've stuck with it this long? Borderline. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see if we're we, still doing we'll this this see. time next yes. year. Yes, we will. Hey, uh, this is another special episode, though, not because it's Halloween episode. What makes it special? We're in the same room together again. That's right. We are in the same room together again. So that is very special and much more spontaneous. Much more spontaneous, as in we didn't do any planning for this episode really before about an hour ago. True, which quantitatively is just like we normally do it, but not in the same room. Correct. Correct. Not that everyone needed that uh, glimpse into the technicality of how we uh, how we do this podcast, but there you have it, folks. There uh, you have it. We are not as organized as we sound, and we don't <laughs> sound that organized. <laughs> <laughs> no, we do not. So, what are you reading this week, Carissa? I've actually set aside most of my uh, books this week, aside from commentaries and the Bible, obviously, and I've been reading a lot of articles on American Bulldogs and American Pitbulls. Interesting. Yeah. I finally started that novel that I purchased several weeks ago, so I'm uh, I'm done with the prologue, and that's about the extent of my um, reading for the week. Did you see that meme recently that said, I've come to the conclusion that buying books and reading them are two entirely separate hobbies? Yes, and it is correct. I, I felt that in my soul <laughs> in a very deep way. Yeah. You have a sermon title for this week? I do. This week, my sermon title is The One About the Guy in the Tree. Boy, I wonder what your text is going to be this Sunday. Well, how about yours? Uh, what sermon title? That's right. You're not preaching this week. I'm not preaching this week. That's why we are in the same room recording a podcast. That's right. I was on retreat in the middle of the week with some clergy friends of mine. We went out into the country near Ligonier, Pennsylvania, which is a beautiful part of western Pennsylvania. And we had 48 hours of fellowship and conversation and relaxation concluded with a very intimate service of communion that was sort of conducted by all of us. Uh, We always conclude the retreat with communion, and uh, it's wonderful. Um, Several of the pastors in the group are retired, and we still talk a lot about preaching and leading a congregation and just what it means to be doing that in this historical moment. So it was a wonderful period of rest and relaxation and recharging, even if there wasn't that much physical rest. Uh, There was spiritual rest in not having to 
manage the affairs or the anxieties of a congregation for a whole week. Absolutely. Absolutely. That can be very emotionally exhausting. It can. A lot of times uh, our congregations run on autopilot or even more often we want them to run on autopilot and we're and we're asleep at the wheel which is a dangerous thing but then you will have those weeks where either there is something in your congregation or your presbytery that consumes all of your spare energy and more of your time than you're getting paid for in that week or you've got something in your personal life that consumes all of your mental energy and then some and that's why we need to do things like this from time to time it is some of the best self-care that we can possibly practice it certainly is Um, and sometimes you have things going on in both your personal and your church life at the same time Uh, i just had a big funeral this past week Mm -hmm. kind of rocked the congregation a much loved member and those ones are exhausting because you're helping to navigate those feelings with your parishioners but that also takes a toll on you if you've been close with that person um, that can be difficult as well sure but it it just depends funerals depend so much on where that person was in his or her life at the time of death um I, i i had one of those funerals back in March for one of the great saints of my congregation. And emotionally, it was actually rather easy. Uh, Everybody was there to celebrate her life. And uh, she was a woman of of great, great faith and great love. And nobody had any unfinished, unfinished business with her on an emotional level. So it was easy to celebrate and say, well done, you good and faithful servant. Yeah, and this was a, this one I had last week was a very similar uh, similar type of thing. And the family was just delightful. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it was all, everything went pretty smoothly and it was good. It was just a lot of, a lot of logistics to navigate. Um, at the same time as we have a new family member joining our household this afternoon. Would that have something to do with your uh, reading for the last week or so? It would have an awful lot to do with that. We were not going to get another dog, and we fell in love with this. We think he's an American bulldog that some friends of ours are fostering. I, 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 I agree. I, I think that's awfully soon. Maybe you should get an interim dog. An interim dog. Um, I never actually thought of that. That's not a terrible idea. <laughs> this you... poor dog is going to be expected to fill the shoes of our previous dog. <laughs> oh, that's not what our last dog had to say about the mailman. <laughs> oh, dear. Yeah. So, yeah, one of those... Uh, Busy, busy weeks at home as well. I'm hoping to, I have another week of vacation left this year, and I'm trying to figure out when I'm going to use that exactly. I haven't scheduled it yet, but I'm thinking maybe the week between Christmas and New Year's is a great week to take off. Oh, yes. Well, if, if if it's out there, you, you and any other pastor who has vacation to burn. Correct. Yeah. Which is going to make it fun to find pulpit supply that week. Good thing you've got a field ed student. Ah, she's off that week. We have we give them that week off. That's part oh, of the deal for them. So okay. yeah, so I have to find. So if anyone out there listening uh, wants to preach for me that Sunday, nobody's going to be at church that day anyway. So you don't have to be all that great. And you get paid for appearing twice. <laughs> That's right. That's right. So hey, let's talk about uh, theology and the world around us. 
Okay. Anything in particular on your mind? <laughs> well, uh, this has been an interesting week for female clergy out there. That's for sure. Um, How so? Yeah. Well, so some of you may have heard on Facebook um, or Twitter or wherever it is that you get your pop culture news-ish information. Uh, it's not always necessarily news per se, uh, but there's this whole go home uh, debacle that has happened. Uh, there were a couple, and honestly, I sort of love this. I cannot for the life of me remember the names of these two men that were on stage. Do MacArthur, you? MacArthur, I think, was Yeah, the... MacArthur was one of John them. John MacArthur, maybe? Yeah. And he's like some sort of evangelical bigwig of yeah, some sort he, or was he i think he, he got fired i, I or don't know quit he, wherever he was at he, he sounded like an academic to me yeah so um so these two guys were on stage in a panel discussion at some sort of event and they were playing this um a word association game mm-hmm. and the moderator of the panel said i'm gonna i'm gonna give you a word or two and then you give me the first thing that pops into your mind and the thing that that the moderator said was Beth Moore. For those of you who don't know, <laughs> Beth Moore is a Southern Baptist uh, teacher. I would venture to call her a preacher, even though she is not pastoring a church. Uh, the woman has a gift for preaching and teaching. I've actually gone through a few of her Bible studies, and she's she's quite bright. Um, I like her an awful lot. Okay. And uh, so the moderator said Beth Moore. And one of the panelists said, go home. Yes, I think that was MacArthur who said, yes. go home. Yeah. And so then this, they, they then launched into this heinous tirade about women wanting to be in leadership in the church and how awful that is. Yes, how, how women shouldn't be pastors. And they were very much feeling that the walls of the fortress were crumbling around them, that, that even especially if even the Southern Baptist Convention would allow women to preach. And they bemoaned the fact that so many of the other, well, let's just say all of the other mainline denominations, had long since allowed for the ordination of women. I can say that the Presbyterian Church uh, changed that in, what, 1965? It's been, um, it's about 64? 62, 63 years. It was 60 oh, years a couple okay. years ago. Yeah. Okay. It's been a while. Yeah. Um, so, uh, of course, your, your arithmetic is sometimes suspect, but... I, well, no, I just remember finding the article okay. from a couple years ago that it was 60 years. Okay. I don't actually know the year number, so my math is good on this. <laughs> or rather my math is absent which yes. it, which makes for better math than when my fair, math is present fair, fair enough <laughs> yes i i remember looking at discussion of this but not taking written notes in any event uh in our tradition in the presbyterian church we have affirmed the gifts of women to ministry if in um fits and starts over the years but certainly now, I would venture to say that, no, you know what? I am not going to venture to say what our statistics are. Um, I appreciate you not just pulling up fake statistics no. out of your ass. <laughs> what? I can't just make those up? <laughs> no, you cannot just make those up. <laughs> but that's so presidential. <laughs> no, no. Um, at, at any rate, I know that in seminary, 
it felt like there was parity in terms of numbers of men and women in school. And I do not know the ordination numbers, so I won't speak to those. But I would gather that over the last 15 to 20 years, the we have moved toward a place of parity between men and women getting ordained in the Presbyterian Church. And please, if anybody listening actually knows these statistics, feel free to enlighten us both on the exact numbers. But I can say that at presbytery meetings, at various denominational functions, I see lots and lots of women under the age of 50 or 60, and that is that is the fruit of the shift in our denomination. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and what's interesting about that, though, is even though there is, um, a, if not complete parity numerically, mm-hmm. close to it, um, there are still a lot of hurdles that even after 60-some years, female clergy in our denomination still have to face. Uh, there was a big a big debate, uh, I know, because I was moderating this debate, uh, lucky me, at our last presbytery meeting, because they had changed the, um, the procedure for new candidates for ordination. And in the past, candidates who were becoming ready to receive a call to a church would be asked to come to the presbytery meeting to read their statement of faith and then members of the presbytery could ask them questions about their statement of faith, um, sort of like a defending um, a, a, a master's a, thesis, yeah, a thesis or a doctoral or thesis. Yeah. yeah. Um, but one of the the patterns that emerged in that is that women and people of color, and most especially women of color, were being asked more questions, and they were being asked more esoteric questions. Um, and when um, these ri- ridiculously esoteric theological questions were not being asked, people were asking dumb stuff like, you put a comma after this particular word. Why did you put a comma? Like, just crazy things. So they decided to take that element out, for better or for worse, by way of procedure, Um because of some of these inequalities that that were being seen in the ways that people were treated when they were on the floor being asked these questions. And um, maybe this is just coincidence, but the only people that spoke against that new procedure were white men. What was the average age of these white men who spoke against it? Um, I don't want to guess because that is rude, but I will say that they were all older than I am, and I am 40. Okay. Would you say they were over the age of 50? My guess would be yes. Over the age of 60? I think probably yes. Uh Uh-huh. Yes. So I think we have have lots of generational shifts. Yes. And the other thing that I would say just anecdotally, because I have only served in three different presbyteries and i also know people in leadership in pittsburgh presbytery in which i have not served but i know an awful lot of women who have served in denominational leadership again do we have parity i don't have numbers in front of me but i can think of 
lots of women clergy who are current or past moderators of the recent past moderators in the presbyteries in which I have served. Uh, I know more in the pipeline to become moderators of their presbyteries. And if I, I, have, I know none. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, if I have, um, if my lack of statistics in front of me opens me up for criticism for not knowing what I'm talking about, let me clearly state that women ought to be in ministry. I'll come back to this, but we need everyone who has the gifts and who can do the work of theological school to be available and serving because there are some stories that you will not hear if you are a man. A dear friend of mine, whom I shall not name because I didn't get her permission to use this story, took her first call to a small church in western Pennsylvania, and she was going around visiting her members, particularly the ones who were not in worship on Sunday. And she met a woman who was perhaps late 60s, early 70s, and appeared to be in good health. And she politely asked this woman why she was not in church. And the woman did not answer quickly, but what she answered was that she has an issue with incontinence, and there is not a bathroom near that sanctuary, and she can't be all that far away from a bathroom. Now, the pastor who was a new pastor at that point was in her late 40s. And I will tell you point blank that there is no way that woman is sharing that story with a 20-something guy fresh out of seminary. Nope. Even if that is the magical pastor that churches think they want. Right. Yep. Or or 30-something guy. Mm -hmm. This needed to be a woman, and frankly, it needed to be a woman who had kids mm -hmm. and had spent enough time as a grown-up that this woman had trust yeah. to, to answer that. I would go further that if you know anything about domestic violence or sexual abuse— you know that there are more victims out there than any of us would care to believe. Mm -hmm. And again, the chances of a woman opening up to a male pastor quickly and easily about something like that are minimal. Right. This is why we need women in ministry. The counter argument could be, well, <clears throat> you know, aren't there aren't there men who have have things that they don't want to open up to and and the answer is yes and this is why we need men in ministry right and, right and the the sad the sad truth is that there are lots of small churches out there that can't have pastors of both genders on staff right so they are they are limited uh, in in what they can offer in terms of pastoral care, in, in terms of gender matching in pastoral care. And that will always be the limitation with smaller congregations. There's no way around that. But that just means that everybody is called. Absolutely. And 
saying that women belong in ministry is not telling men to go home. Right? No. That's that's not at all what's happening. You know, that it drives me it drives me nuts that, you know, uh, the response to Black Lives Matter has been people saying all lives matter. We're not saying because Black Lives Matter, not everyone's life matters. That's that's not even the point. And so we're not saying go home men because we're saying women belong in ministry. No, absolutely not. This is about seeing the people that we have not always seen. And I have to tell you, even if I'm not preaching, the lectionary served up a fat pitch right over the middle of the plate this week with the reading from the Gospel of Luke. Yeah, it did. Do you want to read that reading? Yes. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through it. A man was there named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd he could not, because he was short in stature. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree to see him because he was going to pass that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried down and was happy to welcome him. All who saw it began to grumble and said, He has gone to be the guest of the one who is a sinner. Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, Look, half of my possessions, Lord, I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone or anything, I will pay back four times as much. Then Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek out and to save the lost. Such a great passage. I love that one. And I'm pairing that this week with Second Thessalonians 1, 1 through 4, and 11 through 12, because there's this idea of calling in that passage as well, and of affirming the calling of others. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the Church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We must always give thanks to God for you, brothers and sisters, as it is right, because your faith is growing abundantly and the love of everyone of you for one another is increasing. Therefore, we ourselves boast of you among the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith during all your persecutions and the afflictions that you are enduring. To this end, we will always pray for you, asking that our God will make you worthy of his call and will fulfill by his power every good resolve and work of faith, so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So yeah, I, I think for me, one of the central themes in the Gospel of Luke is seeing. Jesus sees the people that the rest of us overlook, either unintentionally, like the widows and the orphans and the poor, or perhaps intentionally, like Zacchaeus, who is kind of crowded out of the picture. Jesus sees everyone. 
And I think when we talk about, say, a conservative theologian saying women don't belong in ministry or in church leadership, I think we have a failure to see. We have a failure to see all of the gifts that are out there, all of the gifts that can be employed for the work of building the kingdom of God. And when we have a failure to see, we, well, first we have to get the moat out of our own eye. And perhaps the moat is just things as we're used to having them. And one of the ways that sometimes we are used to being in power and having a certain degree of responsibility and we tend to hang on to those things and find other proof texts to confirm why we are hanging on to those things rather than living into the love of seeing the gifts of those around us rather than seeing and loving everyone around us and recognizing their talents for ministry and service we recognize our own position and cling to that and we don't see other people's gifts as equal to ours because if we saw them as equal we would give them titles and responsibilities that were equal yeah and one of the things that I really like about this passage too if we look at the character of Zacchaeus there is some um, some scholarly not so much debate but uh, conversation more about if Zacchaeus was actually short or if the term short in stature referred to his place in society so he was a tax collector he was not a um, particularly honest one he was known for being shady for kind of screwing people over and so he was not well liked so whether he was actually short and couldn't see over the crowd or if they didn't like him and were purposely shutting him out either way he was um, being pushed out from the place where he could see Jesus yeah and, and I think something um, something interesting happens sometimes when we have our own privilege challenged we tend to see ourselves as victims when we actually are not and we are just so unused to being challenged in our privilege that that little bit of discomfort then gets transmogrified into persecution right uh we really want to identify with zacchaeus and there are two big problems with that the first that you that you just mentioned there uh is that we we aren't necessarily zacchaeus um Actually, there's three problems with this. My, there's my math again. <laughs> problem, problem two is um, Zacchaeus is not just welcomed in by Jesus in like this warm, sweet way. Jesus butts in. Jesus mm -hmm. says, I'm coming to your house for dinner, whether you're ready for it or not. And then Zacchaeus is called to do this very hard thing. So, you know, being... Boy, is there a sermon in there or something? There might be a sermon in there. Like, uh, we don't expect Jesus to call us, and he calls us to do things that are really hard? 
Yes. That's one of my like three or four sermons that I preach. And I'm preaching that one this week, if you can't tell. Yes. I'm already preaching it today. <laughs> yes, you are. Preach, sister. Um. Well, thank you for calling me out to preach and not to go home. I appreciate that, brother. <laughs> uh, the third big problem with this one is that we, we, when we want to identify with Zacchaeus, we forget about the times when we are the crowd. The crowd that's elbowing Zacchaeus out of the picture? Yes. And it, it doesn't matter if Zacchaeus is being pushed out of the crowd because he's small and no one is, is noticing and helping him come up forward, or if they're pushing him out on purpose because he's kind of a tool and nobody wants to have anything to do with him. Either way... The crowd is pushing him out. Right. And so what we're looking at is the crowd cuts him off. And even if he, and and I hesitate to use the word deserved, even if he deserved it in the first place, by cutting him off, the crowd inhibits his reconciliation. And that's the problem with being in the crowd that wants to see itself as persecuted that isn't. It distracts us from doing the work of reconciliation. And oh yes, that is really difficult work to do, Mm -hmm. but Jesus doesn't call us to do the easy things. Hey guys, after church, go home and watch the Steelers play. That is not a theologically difficult task. It might be financially difficult if you want to have season tickets and can't afford them. It might be logistically difficult to make it to worship in the morning and then get to the game if you have season tickets. But honestly, we're not called to do the things that merely entertain us. Right. Right. Uh, I have an interesting illustration of this, actually. Do tell. Um, It goes back to pit bulls. Um, because that's where my mind has been this past week as we prepare for a bulldog or pit bull. We're not quite sure yet until we get the breed test back in. Um, I've been watching this show called uh, Paroles and Pit Bulls. Have you heard of that one before? I have not. Okay, so um, it's great. This show's right up my alley, if you can't tell just by the title. And it is um, a reality show that focuses, kind of half reality, half documentary, that focuses on this pit bull rescue agency in California and they have up to 200 dogs uh, mostly pit bulls and pit bull mixes that are at this this dog sanctuary uh, because a lot of shelters have trouble adopting out uh, pits and bulldogs just because of their bad reputation Um, I've lived with one plan on living with another one they're incredible dogs when they're treated well yeah, I've, I have never met a pit bull that wasn't the sweetest thing around. Yeah, they just love to cuddle. Sometimes they're not great with other dogs, but they're wonderful with kids. They're, you know, they're good family dogs. Um, and she hires primarily uh, folks who are out on parole mm. to, to work at this place, um, which is just wonderful to see the connections between people who are also pushed out on the edges. People don't want to be around with with others who have been incarcerated at any point in their lives. They've got this, you know, immediate black mark against them. And in one of the the episodes I just watched the other day, they tried to move the sanctuary out of the desert. They have this huge spot in the desert. And they tried to move it up into the mountains a little bit where it's cooler, there's more trees and woods for the dogs to play in. And the local town near the land that they bought ran them out. 
Mm. Because they didn't want these dogs, these big, bad, dangerous dogs. They didn't want these ex-offenders. Meanwhile, there was a, a prison in the town, right, right. right outside the town. So now they're not going to have this employer of those coming out of that prison mm-hmm. and just ran them out. Mm. Um, and they found excuses. They said it was for environmental concerns with all the, mm. you know, the dog poop that was going to be there. <laughs> and right. And just, um, but it was because they didn't want these scary looking dogs and these scary looking guys with tattoos in their town. They were, mm-hmm. they were pushing it out. And surely they justified this by saying, we're doing this for our safety. We're doing this for, you know, environmental impact or whatever. But what it was when it came down to it was pushing out those who are uncomfortable to be around. That is quite a story. And please, please stop calling me Shirley. Yeah. Hey, I made it through this whole episode without using the words, well, actually... I appreciate that, especially given that we're talking about this whole go home thing. <laughs> I thank you for not mansplaining anything mm-hmm. today. Um, I do, I do appreciate that. Yeah. Well, let me just say to you. I thought you were about to say, "Well, actually, just <laughs> no, there." <laughs> no, no. I was going to say, "Go home and write the best sermon you possibly can, so that when you go to church and preach." You have the spirit of the Lord with you and that your people may see and hear what you say and live into the call to see. Amen. Do you have a spiritual practice for this week? No. Me neither. So let's just pray and call it an episode. All right. And let's just ask our listeners if if any of you really enjoy that practice and miss it this week that we haven't given you one please let us know so that we can uh we're still trying to feel out the flow of the podcast and get all the pieces together so let us know what's working and what's not right and also while you're at it please if you're listening to us write a review of the podcast even if it only is a rating of however many stars you think we have earned preferably five preferably five out of five yes Please, please do that because this will make us more visible. Yes. Yeah, please spread the word and uh, give us a, a quick review on iTunes or Google Play or Spotify or wherever it is that you're listening to us right now. Yes, because even though this is just our words over the, uh, the airwaves, the digital airwaves, seeing is important. So let us pray. God of grace and mercy, help us to see. Help us to see all of those who Jesus sees. Help us to see ourselves as agents of God's peace and love and reconciliation. Help us to see all who are in need and help us to see all of the ways that we may shine your light in the darkness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Now, may God, the God who makes everything holy and whole, make you holy and whole. Put you together, spirit, soul, and body. May God encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. Amen. Amen.
And remember, friends, in addition to giving us that uh, great review on whatever podcasting app you use, uh, you can also email us comments, questions, um, complaints if we really annoyed you to info at softidolatry.com. And if you want to connect with us on Facebook or Instagram, those links as well as our show notes are at our website, www.softidolatry.com. And if you go to our website, you'll also find a link to Patreon, which is a way that you can help support this podcast financially as well. Hey, Alan, uh, why can't you hear a pterodactyl go to the bathroom? Because the P is silent. You've heard that one before. I have heard that one before, yes.